Welcome to Hanchuk Targets History. I'm your host, Tim Hanchuk. Thanks for joining me this episode. You know, I've been teaching high school history for way too many years, and I love talking about this stuff. So let me share with you some interesting, unique, and little-known historical events. I know you'll be entertained, and if you're not careful, you just might learn something too. So, let's lock and load and take a shot at that target of history and see what we can hit. Let's take a walk down range and see what the target shows us. Ah, what an appropriate place to hit as we head into fall. Looks like we're going to be talking about college football. You can't get any better than a college football game on a Saturday afternoon when the leaves are changing color and there's a hint of frost in the air. And let's see, looking a little closer at the target shows me that the specific game we'll be talking about is the October 7th, 1916 matchup between Georgia Tech and Cumberland College, played at Grant Field, which is now part of Bobby Dodd Stadium in Atlanta. This game is one that had never been seen before and hopefully will never be seen again. It has become so steeped in college football lore that no one can say with 100% certainty what actually happened. And since it was played 105 years ago, it's not like we can ask anyone who was actually there. But I'll give it the old college try and attempt to tell you some of the more reliable information and perhaps even debunk some of the myths. Why is this game so infamously legendary? Well, you see, on that October afternoon, Georgia Tech beat Cumberland 222 to nothing. Yeah, you heard that right. 222 to nothing. Let's see how such a fiasco could happen. Cumberland College was a small school in Lebanon, Tennessee, whose sports programs in the early years of the 1900s had enjoyed more than a modicum of success. Actually, their 1903 football team was a powerhouse, knocking off Alabama, LSU, and Tulane in a span of five days, winning each game by a shutout. They finished their regular season in the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Association at 6-1, tied with Clemson for the conference lead. A postseason game between the two teams was organized for Thanksgiving Day, and the two teams played to an 11-11 tie. By the way, the 1903 Clemson team was coached by none other than John Heisman. Yeah, that John Heisman the guy the trophy's named after. So the point is that Cumberland football had been pretty darn good once upon a time, but a team's fortunes can change, and the school discontinued football in 1906. It was reinstated in 1912, but didn't see much success. By 1915, the program was in shambles. In need of a coach that year, the school pressed a local reverend into service. This new coach didn't like the violence of football, and it's said that his practices consisted mainly of playing catch and sitting in a circle playing some bizarre guessing game as to who had the ball behind their back. Needless to say, none of the 1915 players planned to return the next season. While the football team was falling apart, the Cumberland baseball team seemed to be on the rise. Student manager George Allen was trying to create some excitement for the team when they played Georgia Tech. So he used an entire team of ringers, minor league players from the Nashville Vols. They pounded Georgia Tech 22 to nothing. 
As a matter of fact, these pretend Cumberland players became so bored during the game that they took to just bunting the ball. And that's how they scored their last three runs. Now the baseball coach at Georgia Tech also happened to be their football coach. It was John Heisman, who had been hired away from Clemson in 1904. And Heisman was not a man who liked to lose, let alone be embarrassed by a bunch of minor leaguers masquerading as college athletes. He wasn't going to forget this game, and you better believe he was looking for some way to seek revenge on Cumberland. Hey, I think that's what English teachers would call foreshadowing. So, back to football. In those days, a team's schedule was often made by the head coach, or at a smaller school like Cumberland, even by the student manager. Cumberland's student manager for football was John Burns, and during the winter of 1915-16, he set about lining up opponents for the 1916 season. And one of those opponents was John Heisman's Georgia Tech squad. A contract was made for a game on October 7th. Now Burns had planned on being the student football manager for the 1916 season. He was a class short of graduating that June, so he intended to stick around. But that spring, he got a job and decided to leave school. And in case you were wondering, he did return to get his degree in 1923. Anyway, at about the same time Burns was leaving school, Cumberland President Samuel Coyle resigned. The school was in somewhat of a financial crunch when Dr. Homer Hill took over as acting president. He, in conjunction with the Board of Trustees, decided to eliminate football as a money-saving move to shore up the budget. George Allen, the student baseball manager, as I've already said, was selected to replace Burns and become the student football manager that September. With the program supposedly being eliminated, it was his responsibility to contact the schools on the schedule and cancel the game contracts with them. This he did with some of the schools, though Georgia Tech was not one of them. As I said, Heisman wanted revenge and reminded Allen that their contract had a $3,000 forfeit fee should Cumberland not show up. He also offered them a $500 guarantee for playing the game and said Tech would pay for their travel expenses to Atlanta. $3,000 was a lot of money back then. It'd be like somewhere in the neighborhood of seventy grand today. And that was money Cumberland really couldn't afford to pay. Now some people have gone so far as to claim that having to pay this fee would have bankrupted the school. But that's a bit extreme though it certainly would have taken a big bite out of their already shaky finances. On top of this, the $500 guarantee was certainly enticing. So the school told Allen to get the team on a train and head for Atlanta. Now Allen had recruited a team that fall, made up of some of his frat brothers and a handful of law students. Legend says that these guys had never played football before, but that's an exaggeration. While none of the players had ever played at the college level, some did play in high school, and they were all familiar with the game. Records also indicate that this thrown-together team actually played a few other games, somewhere between three and five, against some of the other schools whose contracts had not been canceled before this game with Georgia Tech. Regardless of all that, the time came for this group of scrubs to board the train to Atlanta. 
We do know that when the train made a stop in Nashville, Allen tried to persuade a few of the Vanderbilt players to come along and help out, but they all refused. On top of this, three of the Cumberland players who had gotten off the train during the stop missed getting back on and were left behind, and they never got to Atlanta. So that brings us to the actual game. One popular story says that the Cumberland team had to borrow uniforms from a local high school. This is totally false. The team wore the Cumberland uniforms that had been used the previous season and that they had worn in their previous games that year. Anyway, Tech won the coin toss and elected to kick off. Cumberland's return man took the kick on his own 25 and was tackled immediately for no return. For Cumberland's first series, they ran on first down for three yards, had a second down run go nowhere, and punted on third down. Now please realize that back then, teams often played a very conservative game of field position and often punted before fourth down to catch their opponent by surprise and flip the field. This third down Cumberland punt, though, only went 20 yards, and Tech returned it to the Cumberland 20. Tech's first offensive play was a sweep to the left that went for a touchdown. Tech kicked the extra point to go up 7 to nothing, And from there, things went downhill fast for Cumberland. After the first quarter, Georgia Tech was up 63 to nothing, And at halftime, the score stood at 126 to nothing. During halftime, Heisman supposedly told his players, quote, You're doing all right, men. You're ahead but you just can't tell what those Cumberland players have up their sleeves. They may spring a surprise. Be alert, men. Hit them clean, but hit them hard. <laughs> you know, it's a little-known fact that apart from coaching, Heisman actually had some stage experience and fancied himself quite the thespian. And <laughs> let me tell you, you'd have to be a great actor to make the speech I just quoted with a straight face while being up by over a hundred. Yeah, clearly Heisman was running it up on Cumberland, and he wasn't about to relent in the second half either, as Tech put up 54 more points in the third quarter and 42 more in the fourth. He did agree, though, to shorten the third and fourth quarters by three minutes each. Maybe that explains why they scored a bit less, because it sure wasn't due to anything Cumberland had up their sleeves. Rather than go into a play-by-play -play account of the game, which, I assure you, would get real boring real fast, and would have me saying, Georgia Tech scored a touchdown way too many times. Let me give you this crazy summary. On offense, Cumberland ran 45 plays from scrimmage. Of those 45 plays, 15 resulted in turnovers, 9 lost fumbles, and 6 interceptions. Now, popular lore says they didn't have a play that went for positive yardage. But that's not true. While their rushing total was minus 42 yards, at least five of their rushes did gain positive yards, although two resulted in fumbles. They did complete two passes, one for four yards and the other for 10. And that 10-yard completion was their longest play of the day. But unfortunately, it came on fourth and 22. They got zero first downs throughout the game. A number of Cumberland players were injured, including quarterback Eddie Edwards, who was helped off the field on three occasions, one after being knocked unconscious. 
Even Cumberland's best defensive play of the day resulted in a gruesome facial injury. A Cumberland player climbed onto some of his teammates, kind of like a human pyramid, to try to block a Tech extra point. He blocked the kick all right, taking the ball square in the face. And remember, this was way before face masks. A true anecdote showing how bad things got for Cumberland happened late in the game. A Cumberland player committed one of their nine fumbles. The ball rolled toward B.F. Bird Patey, who, by the way, went on to become a rather prominent attorney. The man who fumbled yelled to Patey to pick up the ball, to which he replied, Pick it up yourself. You dropped it. As for Georgia Tech, well, they were a scoring machine. They scored 32 touchdowns and converted 30 extra points. The one that I just mentioned was blocked, and another was just missed. They ran either 28 or 29 plays from scrimmage, all rushes, for a total of either 471 yards or 501 yards. Again, accounts differ. 18 of these rushes resulted in touchdowns. Their other 14 TDs came from kick and punt returns, fumbles, or interceptions. They never attempted a pass, like why would they? And they never had a drive of more than three plays. Now let's go back to Tech's yardage. Doesn't it seem like they should have gained more than four or 500 yards? Well, the answer to this is they couldn't. A good 90% of the game was played on Cumberland's side of the 50, and perhaps half the plays took place in Cumberland's red zone. Tech just didn't have to go very far to score. Cumberland even elected to kick off five times after Tech scores in an effort to make Tech have to start farther back. But this didn't work too well, as one of those was returned for a TD and two others were returned inside the Cumberland 15. Of the two that caused Tech to start on their own side of the 50, one saw a touchdown scored on the ensuing play, and the other saw a long gain put the ball deep into Cumberland territory. Another legend from this game tells how Jim Prius kicked off for Georgia Tech and caught his own kickoff to score a touchdown. This story, while partially true, has also been embellished a bit. Prius did kick off a number of times, and on one of them, the Cumberland return man took Prius's kick at the goal line. He ran it out to the 10 where he was hit and fumbled, and Prius scooped it up and scored. So wow, 222 to nothing. What an embarrassing defeat for Cumberland. If I lost like that, I'd certainly feel embarrassed. But you know, I think I'd be even more embarrassed to be the team that beats someone like that. To me, this game has always seemed like an adult beating up a five-year-old. Not much of a challenge, and certainly not anything to be proud of. This game certainly makes John Heisman look like a vengeful jerk, but I'm not here to judge. And in all fairness to him, he was a great innovator and certainly helped make football what it is today. But talking about those things, well, that would be another story. And there you have it, kind listeners. Thank you for tuning in. If you like this episode, please tell your friends, and please check out my other episodes. And I very much look forward to talking with you again next time.